Thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to share some exciting news at the end of this sermon, but right now we need to continue in our sermon series that we've entitled Unstoppable. Now throughout this sermon series, we've been looking at how the first Christian church, the the church we read about in the book of Acts, was unstoppable. And what made the church unstoppable then was not programs, not worship teams, not pastors or priests or buildings. What made the church unstoppable then was Jesus. And the first church, you see, focused on Jesus. He was and is the main thing. And the church today, even our church, can be unstoppable if we keep the main thing the main thing. You see, it's all about Jesus. And before we go any further, what I want to do is I want to read just a few verses from God's Word. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 4 this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, but we're going to, we're going to kind of fly through the first 20 or so verses of Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to grab them. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then as I mentioned, we're going to look at several verses in this chapter a little bit more in depth. So while they, it says, while they, that's John and Peter, two of the apostles, two of the disciples, early followers of Jesus, while they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them. These are kind of like bad guys, anti-Jesus guys. Because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them. They seized Peter and John and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many, now look at at verse 4. This is awesome. But many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men, just the men, the, the children and women aren't even recorded here. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. 5,000. Last week we read about 3,000 people coming to faith in Jesus. And tonight, today, this morning, whenever you're watching this, right now we read that 5,000 additional people came to faith in Jesus because of Peter and John proclaiming the name and fame of Christ. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word and thank you that you have created the church, your church, to be a life-changing movement. So God, I pray that you will use each and every single one of us watching, listening to this sermon. God, would you use us to be a witness for you? God, use this church. Use our church here in Clinton, Connecticut to reach people all over our area and possibly even around this country and around this world. God, thank you for who you are and thank you for your amazing life. Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross for all of our sins, and thank you for your glorious resurrection. And we pray all this, God, in your name. Amen. Well, following the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, there were only, I've shared this in the last few weeks, there were only 120 Christians. The worldwide, life-changing movement of Christianity began with just 120 people who believed Jesus was who he said he was. 
John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, as Jesus kind of, uh, before his ascension, he gave the disciples two promises. He said, and, and even now, like if you're a follower of Jesus, these promises are for us as well. But the first thing he said was, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. We looked at this last week, Matthew 16, 18. In other words, as the church follows Jesus, the church will be empowered by Jesus to not only survive, but thrive in this world. Nothing can stop the church. Second, he said, and we looked at this the first week of this sermon series, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And on the day of Pentecost, as we saw last week, the church was born. Just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit filled these first Christians, and overnight the church literally grew from 120 followers to 3,120 followers. Peter preached a sermon, remember from last week, that pierced, it said, God's word said it pierced the hearts of thousands of people that were listening. And 3,000 people on that day surrendered their lives to Jesus. They repented and were baptized. What I love about reading through the Gospels and even the book of Acts is this, that God used, God used ordinary men, He used ordinary women to accomplish an extraordinary plan. God used ordinary men and women to accomplish an extraordinary plan. Peter and John were ordinary people living ordinary lives, and God revealed himself through them in remarkable ways. You see, with God, we see this throughout the scriptures, but with God, and even Jesus said this, nothing is impossible. Now, let me just explain for a moment what I mean here. Like, following the amazing events that happened on the day of Pentecost, Peter and John, two of the apostles, two of Jesus' disciples, went to the temple to worship. That's all they were doing when all of this took place. They were just going to church. Ordinary guys doing ordinary things, going to church. As they reached the temple, as they came up to the church, as they reached the temple, they, they came across a disabled man, a disabled beggar. The man asked Peter and John for money, but instead Peter said to him, I don't have, this is in, in Acts 3.6, Peter said, I don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And guess what happened? This disabled beggar got up and walked. He was healed and he praised God. That created, obviously, that created quite a scene because everybody saw this beggar outside of church every single day begging. And now all of a sudden, this disabled beggar is getting up and he's jumping around. He's walking and talking. He's excited because he can walk because of the power of Jesus Christ. So everyone is surrounding Peter and John and they're wondering, just as we would, how did this happen? So they get into the temple. Crowd of people surrounds Peter and John. And Peter and John start talking about Jesus. And they said this, you can read this in, in chapter 3, God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah. That he must suffer these things 
Then they said, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you, people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Now there's something, as Peter and John were preaching and as they're sharing their message, there's something that bothered. There's something that they said that bothered a specific group of people. When God raised up His servant. When God raised up His servant. Look again at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, what I read a few, what, what I read a few minutes ago. While they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were annoyed. You see, the gospel, the message of freedom and hope is in the resurrected Jesus. And that always annoys people. That always annoys people. You see, the gospel annoys people because it disrupts the status quo. You see, following Jesus means you're a nonconformist. Following Jesus means you're a rebel. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not speaking about religion. Religion conforms to certain human-made norms, but following Jesus pushes against those norms. Following Jesus that is living for him means you look different, you act differently, and you even annoy those who are frustrated that you're not walking in their line. You see, the Sadducees were prominent and influential religious leaders. If you've ever read the Gospels, you'll see the Sadducees a little bit. You'll see the Pharisees even more. In the book of Acts, you'll see the Sadducees a lot. And they're annoyed with Peter and John. You see, in the Gospels, like I said, we find the Pharisees. They were the primary enemies of Jesus. In the book of Acts, the primary enemy is the, of the church is the Sadducees. Well, why is that? See, the Sadducees were Israelites. But they were theologically liberal. Well, what does that mean? Well, without boring you all this morning, and even for those of you watching right now, without boring you too much, simply the Sadducees denied the miraculous. So when they heard Peter and John preaching that Jesus the Christ died and rose again, well, that's a miracle, isn't it? They were annoyed. And they thought, you know what? We got to shut this party down. We're the ones with power. We're the ones with control. And we've got to hush them up. The Sadducees, you see, didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees saw no hope in life after death. Imagine, imagine that. I mean, they're just religious, following a bunch of rules and religion, or following a bunch of rituals and rules, but, but they had no hope. No hope beyond this life. And, and uh, that's why... They were sad, you see. A couple of you got that. thought it was pretty funny, wasn't it? Whatever. All right. 
Well, look at, did you notice what transpired here? Verse four, the Sadducees seized Peter and John, but many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now again, the first church, the early church, began with 120 men and women. By God's grace, the church grew to 3,120. And then here, an additional 5,000 men were added, not including women and children. Now scholars believe that 2,000 years ago, in the city of Jerusalem, where the church originated, where all of this is transpiring, the city there had a population 2,000 years ago of 40,000. 40,000 people in the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Now let me put that in perspective to just kind of help us kind of get an idea of how many people that is. That is the combined population of Clinton, Westbrook, Old Saybrook, Essex, and Old Lyme. So 40,000 people in the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago because of a bold witness from these first Christians, these first 120 followers of Jesus, a quarter of the population in Jerusalem believed in Jesus Christ, were repented, baptized, and began following. A quarter of the population. Can you imagine what would happen if a quarter of the people in Clinton, Westbrook, Old Saybrook, Essex, and Old Lyme converted to Christianity? Can you imagine what would happen on the shoreline for God's glory. See, following the arrest of Peter and John, the Sadducees questioned them. And and specifically about the healing of the disabled man. Again, the Sadducees did not believe in the miraculous, but they saw the miraculous. They saw this man who was crippled, who was disabled, begging at the temple, and now all of a sudden he's walking around. They couldn't deny that. And they said to to Peter and John, verse 7, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now we need to notice this. You've got to see this. Though the Sadducees and other religious leaders felt they had authority, they felt they had control, they felt they had power. You see, that's what religion does. Religion always assumes power, but it's only temporary power. And it's only, in a very real sense, physical power. But Christ-centered power is eternal. It's everlasting. And it's spiritual power. Meaning, it's far bigger than just what we see here and what we're experiencing here. Now look at verse 8. Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter was filled with with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with God's power. Now you might ask, I thought that already happened. Like I thought the Holy Spirit already came on them. On the day of Pentecost, I thought they were filled with the Holy Spirit then. What does that mean? And you're exactly right. That's what happened. But this is one of several instances in the book of Acts where God's servants are filled with the Holy Spirit to face a unique challenge or a unique circumstance. We might call this an anointing. That's what happened. So as Peter is communicating to the Sadducees, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. See, as Jesus followers, we have the Holy Spirit living and breathing inside of us. But there are times 
for God's plans and purposes, he gives us an extra measure of his grace and his power. Again, we use the word anointing. Now, the anointing that we receive isn't to do special tricks for God or for other people, but rather to proclaim that God is glorious and God is amazing. We receive this anointing for him, not for us. See, miracles, healings, teachings, even preaching and so on should all point to Jesus and so much less to the person that has the anointing. See, when you're anointed, when you're, when you're overcome, as preachers, we call this unction. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, whether you're doing a miracle, whether you're healing, whether you're preaching or teaching, and the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's about Jesus, not about the person that's anointed. See, we can't get that twisted. So Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't hold back. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, and then he says to the Sadducees, let it be known. To all of you, this is in verses 10 and 12, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. I love that. I love the boldness that Peter has. He knows the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. And he flat out tells them, God raised Jesus from the dead. Boom roasted. Take that, smarty pants. And then he says this in verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. See, I want to know, man, I would, I want to know this. Like, for the people in our church, and even if you're watching or listening, do you believe that as a Christian? Like, do you honestly believe that there is salvation in no one else? Your translation might say there is salvation in no other name. It's Jesus. See, I wonder if we really believe that, if we really took that to heart, if we would see more transformation and life change around us, if we believe that the people sitting to the left of us, sitting to the right of us, the people that we go to work with, they don't have that name, man. And they're headed for hell. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Do you see what Peter is saying there? Salvation, life, comes from Jesus, not from anyone else and not from anything else. Well, the Sadducees, you see, (laughs) are shocked and they're confused. They're shocked and confused because a man that was disabled for 40 years, you see that later in the passage, was healed. So they're shocked and confused first by that. And second, they're shocked and confused because Peter and John are dropping bars. In other words, they're dropping truth. These are uneducated men, fishermen, and all of a sudden they're they're speaking like philosophically. They're, they're speaking doctrinally and biblically and theologically. And they're, they're overwhelmed by, gosh, Peter and John, they sound pretty smart. <laughs> and we don't know what to say to them. We don't know how to communicate to them with, with everything that we're seeing going on around us. So they're shocked and confused. Verses 13 and 14, when they, the Sadducees, observed 
the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want to stop there just really quick. I don't know about you as a Jesus follower, but I would love for people to say that about me. I would love for people to meet me and say, he has been with Jesus. He has been that transformed and he is that different. He must have been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. See, we love to fight, don't we? We love to fight the antagonist. We love to fight the atheist. We love to fight the people that don't believe in God, but maybe a better thing to do is, is, to, is to show them our lives sometimes. You see, I think sometimes the greatest example and even the greatest argument for Jesus is a changed life. Acting, speaking, and living differently for God's glory. See, the Sadducees saw Peter and John and this once disabled man changed transformed now you got to remember this is probably i don't know uh two months maybe something along those lines from when peter denied jesus denied jesus three times and now here we are peter standing up for jesus see here at this church we have a lot of people that have been changed by jesus a lot of people that have been changed by Jesus, like Peter, like John, and, and even like this disabled man. They've been miraculously healed. But are we sharing with people how we've been changed by Jesus? The Sadducees didn't know how to respond, right? It said that. Verse 18, they didn't know how to respond. So verse 18 says, they just told Peter and John, they ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus again. So they don't know how to respond, so they're like, oh, just stop talking about Jesus. And I love Peter's response. Look at verses 19 and 20 if you have your Bible. Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. But for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, we can't stop and we won't stop sharing about Jesus. So you could say whatever you want to say, but we're not going to shut our mouths. See, Peter and John followed God and, and God used them to, to launch a movement that was spread throughout the entire world. And through this message, Jesus has transformed the world. And this movement is still growing and it's still changing lives. You meet Christians and you know Christians. When was the last time you met a Sadducee? Exactly. See, the Christian church continues to grow and thrive all over the world because of Jesus not because of rules, not because of rituals like the Sadducees had, but because of Jesus. Now, I know what some of us are thinking. See, some of us are thinking right now, growing? 
The church is growing? Have you looked around? The church is shrinking in the United States. And it's definitely shrinking, especially in New England. All right, I'll give you that. But the church is growing exponentially in China, in Central and South America, and so on. It is growing rapidly. I don't want to just move on, though. Like, let me address the shrinking church in Christianity here in the good old U.S. of A. The church is shrinking here because too many Christians are content living as if they were back in junior high. Well, what do I mean by that? What, think back, you know, if you're a little older like me. Think back of when you were in junior high and what it was like. See, can, can we just be honest for a minute? Like, can we just be honest just for a moment? We want people to like us, don't we? We want people, that's how we were in junior high, right? We want people to like us. And if you're the person that says, you know, I don't care if people like me first, you're lying. And second, there's a good chance that no one likes you because you don't have a good attitude about the people you're around. See, no one wants to be known as the super spiritual weirdo that separates crowds whenever they enter a room. I get it. I understand. Every time I get the question, what do you do for a living? I know I'm going to get the standard confused, awkward look. Well, I'm a pastor. That's nice. And then they move away from me. I get it. I understand. But maybe, maybe we've gone too far as Christians. Like maybe we're a little too concerned about what we think or what people think of us rather. See, maybe as followers of Jesus, we're too worried about what people like the Sadducees, what people like the non-believers or the antagonists think. Maybe we're a little too concerned about them. Maybe we need to be a little bit more concerned with what God thinks. See, we're called to point people to Jesus. We're called to signal people to him as the king, as the Lord, as the savior of their lives and of this world. See, there is, there's, a, there's a wild, and, and I've read over this passage several times, and, and as I was studying it, it popped out at the page. There's this wild and tragic passage in the Gospel of John. Jesus is preaching, and he's teaching, and John wrote this. Look at, look at what John wrote. This is John chapter 14. Many people did believe him. That's Jesus. Many people did believe Jesus. However, John wrote, including some of the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise of God. Man, that's sad. That's junior high ethics. You know, I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm not going to share that I follow Jesus because people won't like me. I mean, I think most of us are a little too old for junior high ethics. Well, I want to close just with a few thoughts. 
and then I'll get to this announcement here in a few minutes. Have you believed the message of Jesus? Do you believe that there is salvation in no one else but Jesus? Do you believe that there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved? See, I don't know where you are this morning or this evening or whenever you're watching this or listening to this, but this message, the gospel, Jesus, either it's true or it's not. And if it's true, then you better come home and come home quickly and embrace Jesus the Christ because he has come to set you free from your sin and he's going to give you joy and he's going to bubble gladness up in your heart and in your mind and he's going to give you life not only today but for eternity. Come home. If he is the Christ, if he is the only way to have life, come home to Jesus. And he will set you free. And he's going to give you joy and happiness and gladness. And let me say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, let go of the junior high ethics. Tell people about him. Don't be ashamed, Romans 1.16. Remember what Peter said? We are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. If you've been following Jesus, you have seen a lot. And you have heard a lot. Speak about it. Share it. It is the greatest message. It is the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. Share your testimony, how Jesus has changed your life. Witness, testify to what he has done and how he has changed you and transformed you for all eternity. Thank you so much for joining us again. We look forward to having us all together in this room, hopefully, Lord willing, very soon. But Before I go, let me pray for us, and we'll drop this message for you in a few more minutes. This awesome announcement. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word again, and thank you that it's true. And thank you, Jesus, that 2,000 years ago, you radically changed the lives of 120 people. And thank you so much, Jesus, that the, the message, your good news, your message of hope and life and freedom didn't stop 2,000 years ago, but it has continued, and it continues to save people, and it continues to change and transform people. And God, I pray this morning, this evening, whenever you're listening to this, those of you that are listening, I pray that God will change you. That maybe for the first time you will call Jesus your Lord and your Savior. If you've been following Jesus for a week or two weeks or 10 years or 15 years, I pray that Jesus will anoint you. I pray that you will receive His power and His Spirit to witness and to testify to what he has done in your life, to what you have seen, and to what you have heard. May God use you. Finally, I want to pray for this church. God, work in and through this church for your glory 
reach people far from this place. God, so that the kingdom of God can continue to increase. And more and more people can come to a saving relationship with you. So thank you, Jesus, we pray in your holy and matchless name. Amen.